Are you ready, Christine? I'm ready. Are you ready, Ma? I am. Let's go. Well, first, we are on a tiki, at a tiki bar. Are we on a tiki barge or just a tiki bar? <laughs> I don't know. This is an audio podcast, so <laughs> no, you're just painting a picture. Um, so we have a lovely background today as we drink. Um, it's lovely. Okay, so let's go to... <laughs> and unfortunately, it has nothing to do with the movie, other than, I guess, the ending. Yeah. Oh, it, yes, it does have to do. I guess we are in Ziwatanehu. Uh-huh. Uh, spoilers have already been oh, yeah. alerted. Um, okay, so we're go going to Maine, but really, we're mm -hmm. going to Ohio. We sure are. Wow. Again. <clears throat> and we are going nowhere fun. We are doing 1994's the, and it should be all uppercase T-H-E, you know, like the Ohio thing, the Shawshank Redemption. <sighs> Two life sentences for a 1947 double murder land an innocent male, it, it, man, <laughs> male, man, in a corrupt Maine penitentiary. A lot of M's. <laughs> um, uh, so we are ready for the particulars. The Shawshank Redemption. It premiered at TIFF, which is the Toronto Film Festival, on September 10th, 1994. It had a limited U.S. release on September 23rd, 1994, and a wider release on October 14th, 1994. It was written and directed by Frank Darabon, who also wrote Nightmare on Elm Street 3. He also wrote The Blob, and he wrote and directed The Green Mile and The Mist. He also developed the TV show The Walking Dead and ran the first oh. season. And then he was fired due to production costs, to reduce production costs. And in July of 2021, he settled with AMC for a nice pretty penny. Well, he should get a pretty penny for that. I mean, because that show has gone on for years and it's made so much money. I think it pretty much kept AMC afloat uh, after Breaking Bad. And what was that other show? The, the one with the Mad Men went off. Um, is based on the 1982 novella, which I looked up, and a novella is shorter than a novel, but longer than a short story. Interesting. Mm. It, so the novella, the 1982 <laughs> novella, is called Rita Hayworth and the Sh and Shawshank Redemption, yeah. and that's by Stephen King, who also wrote The Shining, and another short story called The Body that was adapted into Stand By Me. And he also wrote Carrie, It, Misery, and The Green Mile, just to name a few. I mean, he's Stephen freaking King. We have the editor, Richard Francis Bruce, who also edited Seven, Air Force One, and Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. The music is by Thomas Newman, who also did Jumping Jack Flash, Fried Green Tomatoes, Desperately Seeking Susan, American Beauty, Finding Nemo, and 1917, just to name a few, because wow. that guy has done a ton of things. Whew. 
And we have the director of photography, one of my personal favorites, Roger Deakins, who shot Fargo, The Big Lebowski, and he also did Skyfall, and he won an Academy Award for 1917. We have starring Tim Robbins as Andy Dufresne. He was in Top Gun, Bull Durham, The Player, Mystic River, and he also has directed films such as Bob Roberts and Dead Men Walking. Dead, yeah, Dead Man Walking. Morgan Freeman as Red. He was in Glory, The Electric Company, Lean on Me, Driving Miss Daisy, Seven, Million Dollar Baby, and the Dark Knight Trilogy. We have Bob Gunton as Warden Norton. Norton. He was also in Glory and Patch Adams and Argo. William Sadler as Haywood. He was in Die Hard 2, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, and The Green Mile. Clancy Brown as Hadley. He, he was in Bad Boys, Starship Troopers, and he's done tons of voiceover work. He was Mr. Krabs in SpongeBob SquarePants. <laughs> and <laughs> I put that in for you, Teeny. And important he work. was he was most recently he was in Dexter New Blood. I was like, where's that? That guy looks super familiar to me from very recently. And I was like, oh yeah, Dexter New Blood. Oh yeah. And he's in the upcoming John Wick chapter four. Hasn't he been in a lot of TV too? Oh, he's been in so much stuff. Okay. And like in really his voiceover work and all these movies and television shows and animation and video games. It's incredible. Gil Bello played Tommy. He was Billy on Ally McBeal. Yes, he was. And he's done a ton of TV like Smallville and The Handmaid's Tale. And he was in a 2011 film called The Year Dolly Parton Was My Mom. Mm. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And finally, we have James Whitmore, who played yes. Brooks. We did. And we know him because he was Gus in the Asphalt Jungle, which we'd done a couple weeks ago. Yes. And he was also in Planet of the Apes and Kiss Me Kate. And those, that is your particulars. That is. those. All of those are your particulars. <laughs> <clears throat> the movie starts with the ink spots singing, If I didn't care. I used to hear that all the time. My daddy played that all the time. Oh, really? Yeah. And I knew it was the ink spots before I looked it up to be sure it was the ink spots. Recorded in 1946. We see Tim Robbins in a car drinking whiskey. He gets a gun and bullets out of his glove compartment. We cut to his trial for the murder of his wife and her lover. He claims he's innocent, but he is sent to prison. In prison, he meets Red, played by Morgan Freeman, who can supply the prisoners with most any black market items. It is life on the inside. Could go wrong. I had to look up the ink spots, and yes, they were a black group. Yes, I was, I was just like the ink spots. Huh? 
was that? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. It, yeah, a very famous mm-hmm. black group. Mm-hmm. Well, we are to POC, and it being a prison film, there were there were not as many as I expected. I think that's, uh, yeah, there was Red, who was a main character, Tyrell, um, there was a black male in the mail room, and then, like, scattered throughout. So, basically, my POC count is less than 10, mm-hmm. ballpark. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. But uh, a whole lot of cast. So, shall we begin with Aaron in cast? Oh, or teeny. Do you want to? You may may begin. Okay. So let's see. Let me, let me get my, my articles out of the way where I got my sources. I have these walls, the Shawshank Redemption by Nicholas Russell, Vera.org, which reimagining prison web report and filmscalpel.com, the video made about the Shawshank Redemption, as well as an article by Mala Malata called White Guilt and Magical Negroes Racist Storytelling Normalizes Black Inferiority. Okay, so from 1850 to 1940, racial and ethnic minorities, which included foreign born and non English speaking European immigrants, made up 40 to 50% of the prison population. Mm-hmm. And by 2015, it was 55% that was Black or Latino. So those foreign-born, non-English-speaking European immigrants had, uh, um, they, what's the word? Like, they have become, they have been absorbed into the white caste. So before, because in this movie, you'll see when he gets off, one of the prisoners gets off the bus and like, do you speak English? Mm-hmm. So that was, that was a, a thing. Um, and so then we have in the South, you have black codes that were passed in the South. So after the Civil War, um, uh, pretty like basically got rid of slavery, but more on that later. Um, then because that was that was free. Look, the answer to every question is money. So when they had the they had people that needed to make things. And you don't want to pay people to make things because that cuts into the profit. You have to have a cheap labor force. And slaves were the cheapest labor force enslaved people because you didn't have to pay them anything. You just work them to the, the death. So when that was outlawed, and it was like, no, now you need to pay people for their work. Well, the 13th Amendment has a loophole in it that basically says that slavery is outlawed except when it has to do with punitive, with being, uh, with prison. Incarcerate. Incarcerate, right. Then it's okay. So you had the, so then that means you needed prisoners. So they had, in the South, they had black codes that were passed, such as walking without purpose. That'll get you arrested. Walking without a purpose. Walking at night will get you arrested. Settling on public or private land. So basically, it was 
anything like you could be white like let's not get it twisted you could be white and walk without a purpose you're not getting arrested but if you're black and walking without a purpose and who even knows the purpose because nobody could be inside your head but it's just effectively hey we need cheap labor so you would get locked up then that led to convict leasing programs like prison farms and chain gangs and you would notice that very few whites were sent to work these details. So you have black punishment was very visible. You could be going down a highway and you would see chain gangs and it would be all, mostly all uh, black men, which then, so it's visible, whereas white punishment was obscured behind prison walls. So then the public can't see it. So then think of how that seeps into the consciousness of, oh, black people are criminals because we see them being punished. Whereas the white criminals, you don't see because they're locked up behind the prison walls, which I thought was, I was like, oh, that's a very interesting point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then you also have um, this thing that I think Spike Lee was actually the one who coined it, the term magical Negroes and magical Negroes in films and other popular culture uh, endeavors. Their only purpose is to help and assist the white hero. So Red's mm-hmm. only purpose in this film is to morally support Andy's quest. And how do you recognize a magical Negro? Because the term magical, it isn't as literal as that. Like sometimes it is like they have magical powers, but usually it's just um, it's just it, it, it isn't always literal. So you can recognize a magical Negro because they're black, charismatic, and irrelevant. So Cersei L. Glenn and Landra J. Cunningham have five characteristics of the magical Negro. Number one, they use their magical slash spiritual gifts for the benefit of the white character. Uh Two, they assume predominantly service role. Three, they possess folk wisdom instead of intellectual knowledge. Of course. Mm Mm-hmm. Four, the role is limited outside of magical or spiritual guidance. If it has anything to do outside of that, you're not going to really see them. And five, they're not able to use their powers to help themselves. And it's wild how prevalent that this is in films. Like you see it in Clueless, you see it in The Help, which brings me to this quote by Viola Davis, who she's quoted as, quote, Not a lot of narratives are also invested in our humanity. They're invested in the idea of what it means to be black, but it's catering to the white audience. And so it's also used strategically in stories. Um, You'll also see it where originally the stories didn't have a black character. So in this, in the novella, Red's character wasn't black. He was an Irishman. And in the adaptation, they changed it, and Morgan Freeman plays Red. And they'll do that often in movies where you put it in, and so then you have a credible servant character played by a black actor, and that's because of cast, because society is like, oh, it's accepting. Like, nobody saw this movie and was like, oh, why would it? Why would Red be in prison or why would he like why wouldn't he be this character? You know, like that's not how we're um, conditioned to look at this. And this stereotype disguises black empowerment with white empathy. 
but it's rooted in the old belief that black people are inferior to whites. And they reduce the meaning of black existence to the benefit this existence has to do with the white character. And outside of that, they're meaningless. I oh. have to say right here, and this is, could be controversial, but I feel like a whole lot of Morgan Freeman's roles have been that. Driving Miss Daisy. Yeah, because look at the roles of <laughs> the black characters in this. Like, Sidney Portier was approached for this film, yeah. and he was like, nah, I don't want to play a convict. You yeah. know, like, yeah. but that's why that's why it's in this that's why it's cast that's why we yes. have a cast yes. and yes. even in this where it's like oh well morgan freeman was in this it's you're taking you know uh it's got exactly how they said it like you're going and thinking like oh look at us this is black empowerment and aren't we being so progressive but you're really doing the same thing you're really just packaging it up and even if you want to be as super generous on it you can then have it be well it's morgan freeman there's not that many black characters he's really the only black speaking character in this film he's not like other black people mm -hmm. i don't see color yeah and so now think of how many people are fans of morgan freeman who don't see him as being a black person they're like, oh, I like him. He, oh, but, but he's special. He's not like them, you know. Mm -hmm. He's not like the others. And you're like, what the fuck does that mean? But people don't go interrogating that because it's cast. So, and there, there's also parts of how Red is never the target of on-screen violence, and there's no mm -hmm. trace of racism except for him being continually denied parole. Right. Um, and the whole reason behind that is because his character wasn't written as was a, a white Irishman. Yeah. Um, and then other instances shows how like brazen Andy can be. And there's a whole bunch of stuff going into Andy about how he's innocent and upstanding and good and solid. And um, like, and there's a scene that really exemplifies that when they're up on top of the roof and he overhears mm -hmm. the guy talking about his inheritance. He's a prisoner and he walks up quietly unannouncing himself to guards who have their back turned to him and like you, like you don't do that and Morgan Freeman Red's like what are you doing you know but that's that oh I have information because I'm intelligent I can once they hear me out he's not going to throw me over this the building whereas right. if Red did that right first of all Red wouldn't do that because he's lived in America long enough and knows that he can't do that that's right. not a privilege that he has and then also at the end when he threatens the warden to expose all of his criminal nefarity uh -huh. like you know eh, that's just this guy like not really realizing or knowing where he is but that's that privilege that gets you there so that's just a little bit of how cast runs through this film yes christine do you have others Uh, I guess it would be an appropriate time to talk about prison reform mm -hmm. because that's where my, like what was the character's name Brooks Brooks yeah yes yes Brooks finally gets paroled after 
uh, 50 years in prison, maybe. Mm -hmm. And he gets sent to like, it seems like a halfway house and just can't, you know, he's only known prison for the past 15 years. And especially then, like when he went to prison, there were no cars on the road. He was like, right. in the car yeah. once, but, um, and then he's thrown into this whole new world with all this new stuff. And, you know, he also like can't go anywhere. Like he has to meet all this parole th shit and he ends up killing himself. And, uh, that's probably not, I don't know. I'm sorry. That's not the right way to say it these days, but there we are. That's what happened. He, he took yeah. himself out the game. Yeah. Um, but so we started, I watched this documentary called Inside Out, Life on the Outside, I think. Um, it's on YouTube, but follows like three prisoners in Alaska who get, who get out of prison and like you know, the next few months after. And I mean, in the movies and everything, they just show them walking out of the front gate, but like, that's really how it's like, it seems. And like, prisons aren't just in the middle of the city. They're right far, somewhere far away, inconvenient to get to. So like the two of the guys in the documentary, it shows them like having to spend the first few hours just like walking to the bus and trying to figure out the bus schedule and mm -hmm. getting to the next place so they could buy a snack and then getting to their meet their parole officer and then learning all of the rules of being in parole and like trying to find a place to live because people mm -hmm. aren't um just sent to somewhere to live like at brooks and red were in this movie they're oftentimes just released into the world right they haven't had a job like the one guy had to go back to his old job and he was like apologizing that he left him hanging high and dry but like hopefully he could get his job back or get a job doing something um and then he said something about like you know they're always trying to tell us to when we get out to leave this world behind and like leave everything from prison behind and you know just start a new life but he's like but like the only place that I have to even look at living is one of the guys I knew from the inside gave me the contact information of one of his family members to like see if they could give me a room and mm -hmm. one of the guys had to go to the soup kitchen and they were like it's ten dollars a night to stay or you could do chores um and then you just have to follow all of these rules to meet parole like the theirs were all like no alcohol like you can't miss any of the meetings like all of these crazy rules um and, and it's was, so hard to get a job when you don't have a place to live mm -hmm. and it's so hard to get a place to live when you don't have a job exactly because i ran into that when i moved out to california you know i don't have a job and i need a place to and you're just in this loophole and like luckily you have support system and it was like okay but yeah for cons it's it's the prisons mm -hmm. are set up for retribution not rehabilitation right yeah so there's i got information from standtogethertrust.org about prison reform in america and there's there's stats that um american prisons house more than one one and a half million individuals an increase of more than 390 percent since 1978 
-hmm. even though there's been an overarching decline of crime since the 90s. Um, over 600,000 men and women are released from federal and state prisons each year. And obviously they face challenges to rejoin the community. And um, even with like, basically they're saying prisons claim that they stand for to rehab and set people up for success when they get out. Nope. But clearly it's not working with what's going on because there's more than 80% of people leaving prisons will be rearrested again in the future. So this talked about the goals of prison reform. Um, and basically there's two broad categories that the reform could fall into. Um, so the first is ensuring access to programs which help individuals gain knowledge, skills, job training, and positive values during their period of incarceration. And second, by revising correctional, poli correctional policies to ensure that minimal barriers exist to maintaining positive community relationships during the period of incarceration. Uh, by providing individuals with opportunities to gain productive skills and equipping them with, to strengthen their positive relationships, we can help them achieve their full potential and transform their lives upon returning to our communities. Um, obviously, the main goal is to reduce the number of people who are rearrested. And it's estimated that in addition to societal stigma, people who are released from prison face more than 48,000 legal barriers that bar them from securing employment, housing, occupational licenses, and many of the foundational things needed to be a productive member of the community. Mm -hmm. 74% of men released from prison are still searching for employment eight months after their release. Right. Um, and like, uh oh, hello? Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> I left the tiki bar for a minute. Uh, <laughs> uh, so basically prison programming is an effective way to help provide a person who is incarcerated with crucial skills, education, and development that they'll need to be successful when leaving the walls of prison. Um, and then just some, there's they showed some statistics of benefits from prison programming. Um, so these are positive results from when prison facilities provide programming or allow nonprofit organizations to provide it. Mental health support in prison was found to reduce misconduct incidents by 22%. Substance abuse treatment in one California prison resulted in a 48% reduction in reincarceration. Um, then one holistic faith-based program reduced future reincarceration by 40% by those who graduate the program. So there's a lot of statistics and information on here, but basically the point is it ain't good where it's at. So mm -hmm. yeah, but it's but there's a reason why right. it's not, right. and that's money. And we'll right. really get into it when we hit the nerd alerts because it's crazy how it's tied in. I don't have any this week. I have for 1994 to set up when this movie came out. And I also want to know what got awards that this didn't. Forrest Gump. Yeah. Oh, tough year to go up against, but. It's one of the all-time best movies. Like, when you get to the, what was nominated for an Oscar, it's it's pretty good. Okay. But, yeah. It's one of those, in hindsight, you're like, oh. All right, so 
in I did it from September 1994. So of course in 1994 we also had Priscilla Queen of the Desert that came out in Australia. Mm-hmm. That was a big hit. So the what? Priscilla Queen of the Desert. Oh, that movie oh, yeah, came yeah, out. We did that, yeah. So you can listen to that for more on what I'm about to say here, because Byron Della Beckwith was convicted of murdering Medgar Evers in night. Medgar Evers was murdered by him in 1963, and that was all because he, this Byron fuckwad, was finally convicted in 1994 because Medgar Evers's widow, Myerly Evers, never abandoned the case. Never was, gave up. Oh, Never. There have been a couple of trials before, so you can listen to the episode of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. I went into more in detail on that, but I just wanted to point out that Meg Rivers was killed in 1963, and his murder was not brought to justice until 1994. The first photos of Pluto and its moon, Charon, were taken from the Hubble Space Telescope. Wow. And, I mean, now we have this James Webb telescope that is just blowing my mind every time I think about it. I'm just like, I just have brain matter all over my apartment that I just, I just randomly is like, oh, yes, that was from where my head exploded over this whole James Webb telescope. And that, what is the concept of time? (laughs) Oh, man. So we also have in 1994 the Rwandan genocide. Uh-huh. I mean, remember in the 40s how we said never again, but hmm. it it happens again and again. South Africa has its first fully multiracial elections, and Nelson Mandela wins. Three-time Formula One world champion Artin Senna was killed during the San Marino Grand Prix, and. Mm. There's a great documentary called Senna that I watched. And this was before I watched this years and years ago. And it is fantastic. It's a fantastic documentary. I watched this and I didn't know anything about Formula One. And I was riveted by this documentary. So I suggest that you watch it and seek it out, even if you don't like Formula One. Um, Jeff Bezos founds Amazon in 1994. Hmm. Yeah. And it used to be just a website where you would just buy books. <laughs> yes. That's so st- I've tried to stop using it. I don't use I don't use Amazon all that much. Pat I've myself tr- on the own back for that. Um yeah, go ahead and shrink a little smaller there. Uh but when you need something quickly. Yeah. Help me through ah. the pandemic, I gotta say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's hard. I try not to, but there's just sometimes when I and you and you can just comparison shop and yeah. They take yeah. PayPal. It's it's just you very use PayPal. Yes, should I not? Why? I know that's fine. I don't know. I never used it. I I'm not putting my credit card into all these different places. Oh, see, oh, interesting. It only goes to PayPal. Yeah, that's what I thought. Okay, that makes sense. Heather, do you remember Heather Whitestone? Does that name sound familiar? No. 
1994, she was crowned the first deaf Miss America. I remember that now. Mm-hmm. I do remember. She because, did- yeah, her talent was dancing, and everybody was like, how are you dancing? And it was she was like, the bass vibrations in the floor, I can feel it. It's music. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh. And finally, in 1994, other things happened, but this was a big one, and I think it is very pertinent to the movie that we're doing president bill clinton signs the violent crime control and law enforcement act which is commonly referred to as the crime bill and this increased mass incarceration it was that three strikes and you're out yeah harsh sentencing Mm -hmm. so it had the three strikes Mm -hmm. it increased capital punishment which is the death penalty it increased new prisons being made it really militarized the police because I was thinking like when I was a kid, you know, police didn't have didn't look like my dad in the army and shit. And then you think about it. But then think about because in 1994, I don't think we were really involved in any military operations. I think like Desert Shield or Storm like that had kind of gone away. And mm-hmm. the military had the military industrial complex had all of this equipment. And mm-hmm. it still needs to, it has all these contracts to keep building all this equipment. So where are you going to go with all of the surplus of military style equipment? You give it to the police, it turns out. Mm-hmm. And then it also increased punitive measures at the expense of things such as rehab and prevention and mm-hmm. helping convicts reintegrate back into society and giving them tools so that they don't feel hopeless and that this is the only way that they can feed their family and provide is to do these activities that have been deemed criminal when one group of people does it but is completely legal when another group of people does it and the more people you keep in jail the more money keeps flowing in those pockets cha-ching and then we also get I don't know I think this was I don't know if this was part of the crime bill, but I do know that it happened in 1994 that Bill Clinton signed this, and that was the Federal Assault Weapons Ban, which Mm. banned the manufacture of new firearms with certain features for 10 years, and Mm -hmm. it expired September 13th, 2004, which is interesting because the other thing that happened in 1994... But you think about like, well, why wouldn't they keep? Why why would they just let the fire the assault weapons bans expire? I don't like. Wh- why are people feeling unsafe? Well, it expired in two thousand four. Think about what happened in two thousand one, and then to go further back to the last thing that in my list of nerd alerts of what happened in nineteen ninety four, in Afghanistan, the Taliban was formed. Mm-hmm. I was like, wow, isn't that wild yeah. how all of these things, like, because yeah. you're not going to tell me that they're, that that's not, I'm not saying it's the number one reason, but that isn't a seasoning, in the seasoning salt of how the, we're like, oh, no, everybody can have assault weapons now that, you know, 9-11 happens and you have the Taliban and they're going to come over here and take your women and children, so you need to be able to protect yourself mm-hmm. with it. Assault weapons. So the films of 1994, gross-wise, number five was Speed, number four was The Mask, number three was True Lies, number two was Forrest Gump, and the number one film of 1994 was The Lion King. 
Oh. I mean, that's, it's kind of, that's wild when you think of, like, speed and the man. Well, wasn't yeah. Aladdin number 1993? Maybe, but we're doing that 94. No, I know, but, like, the cartoon movie. <laughs> oh, probably, because Disney was on a roll. I'm, I'm sorry, TDI. <laughs> I didn't know where Yeah, you I know. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were like me and just got dyslexic over years no yeah i was like that's just weird the cartoon two years in a row oh man this time in the 90s disney was like on a roll they had you know they had aladdin they had the lion king they had beauty and the beast they were just cranking them out back to back to back all right so now for the oscars these are the best pictures okay you had quiz show yes yes solid film oh yeah it's it's a true story solid Ray Fiennes is in it. Yeah, I love me some Ray Fiennes, but it's always hard to go super hard on Ray Fiennes because of Schindler's List. <laughs> There's always yes, you, you can you, never forget him with that exactly belly and okay. And we also have Pulp Fiction. Yes, my God, wow, wow. yeah, yeah. Then you also have Four Weddings and a Funeral, yeah. Oh. which. I mean, you Which can say great for, uh, you have something for everybody. Exactly. And you have the Shawshank Redemption. And then you have the win. Yeah, you have the winner, Forrest Gump. Yeah, and I did. I think this was better Gump. than Forrest Gump. I think this is aged better than Forrest yes, Gump. Yes, I agree. Yeah. But at the time, the yeah, the whole thing about Forrest Mom, Gump Mom, and being everywhere. Yeah. So Okay, Christine, do you have any nerd alerts? No. So now we are to reheatables. So um, negatives. Um, I have corruption, mm. inhumanity, mm. and greed. Mm. <laughs> just, you know, a few just, little things. Light, just a few little light topics. So other reheatables that are not so good. I have the phrase easy peasy Japanesey. Oh yeah, that's a bad one. Oh, I think that one slipped by me. Mm, wow. <laughs> Not that I ever used it. I also have the phrase, I'm gonna go pinch a loaf. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That disgusted me. Although I could I could hear in 1994 your husband saying that. Yeah, I um, could hear him saying that in 2022. He says it again. He's not my husband. Oh, no. <laughs> hard pants in prison. I mean, hard pants in general. I'm not a fan, but especially in prison. Like, they were wearing hard pants. Hard pants? <laughs> like jeans. Dungarees. Oh, like stiff pants. Yeah. Oh, you know what? I'm like, and like some of them had soft pants. Oh my gosh. I didn't even, I don't even have, I don't think any of the pants I own have, like they all contain stretch materials. I don't own hard pants. I don't like hard pants. It's hard to find hard pants to fit me with my legs, but so. My thighs over here. Hard pants. But if I'm in prison, especially, let me wear some Goddamn soft pants. No, oh, you are you are in prison. Yeah, prison is for hard pants. 
I like the wide leg of them though. I oh like yeah, I mean, I totally wear them, but they're so hard. We're hard. And hard. then I didn't read, write down a lot of reheatables, but he didn't bury that treasure very well. Oh. Like it was just like pick up a rock and it's there. And truth be told. And he didn't know how long he was going to be there. Like, he didn't know. It wasn't like he knew, like, oh, he's Red's coming next week. It could have been here. It was years. Right. But he had hope. Oh. Yeah, he did. Um, But if you, if you see that black volcanic glass, that's going to draw people's attention. I don't think a lot of people were going around there. I was more thinking of, like, rain. Washing okay. it away. Okay. Well, it was in a nice tin. And, and, those, were, and those were my negatives. All right. Settle in, people. Oh, God. <laughs> Wait. Can we have a drink? Okay. Here. Let Aaron go. Andy, <clears throat> man, he seemed very, very guilty at his trial. Did he not? I, well, they did that I, on purpose. I Because you weren't supposed to there, know. They're like, what evidence? You're, you're reading, it's like, oh, he has circumstantial evidence. I'm sorry. He has, like, extra bullets with his fingerprints on it. He has a busted bottle of bourbon with his fingerprints on it. His car was there at the scene that night. His <laughs> like, footprints were there. And that's his wife with another man. I'm just saying, like, but I think I think Andy really thought, "Hey, I'm a white banker. I, I'm not going to jail." I think that I think when my good reheatables who told why he thought that, but like when I was watching this, I was just like, well, "Wait a second, <laughs> this wait was Andy really guilty and?" This, You're so, supposed to think that. I That's, sure did. Yeah, I did too. I sure did. The whole time. I wonder if he is guilty. Yep. So this was left in because it was a joke, but... Wait, ask, time out, time out, time okay. out. I, I, I apologize. Mm -hmm. But this was 90, uh, 49, right? I mean, is wasn't there... Oh, this was Maine, though. Because, it, like, in Texas, in the South, if you caught your wife with somebody else, it, it would have been okay to kill her and the dude. Mm, but I don't know. It's Maine. Okay. And he killed a golf professional. So I think... <laughs> the I, caucasity. Yeah. You, you went and you killed a golf professional? Like, <laughs> hey. Okay. 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 So you're going to tell me that that golf professionals didn't have come from money and his family had ties. And he was probably teaching them to have better golf games. Yeah. He had, yeah. Okay. You can't be going around killing the golf professional. I guess her golf game was pretty good. Too. <laughs> hmm. Um. Okay. So I know that this was a joke, but they asked red why his name is red and his uh -huh. name is Ellis Redding. Uh -huh. Why is your name red? It's Ellis Redding. My last name is Redding. It's, it's like if people... But I, they put that joke in there because the original... I know. Okay. 
they put the joke in because the original character was a white man and he was of Irish descent, so that's why he was red. But I will bring it all the way back around to point out that in real life, Morgan Freeman's white maternal great-great-grandfather lived with and was buried next to his black great-great-grandmother in the South. So, like myself personally... He could be Irish because I have Irish in me and it's yeah. not from anyone on this podcast. Right. So he, the, everybody was laughing like, it's because I'm Irish. I'm like, he probably was Irish. Mm-hmm. I, and I didn't know that when I named you Aaron. I know. Look at that. But I can pretend like I did. I just like the name. Brandy. Okay. The, the yeah, alcohol, really. Oh, yeah. That's your drink of choice. Yeah, gross, disgusting. Yeah. That's 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 vomit waiting to happen. Oh man, I had I had me a bad experience in my early to late twenties with some brandy in a large to small mason jar. <laughs> Let's just say, woo wee. Okay. I wondered when Andy was coming in, how many of those prisoners coming in with Andy were World War II vets? Because it was Me 47, too. you know? Me too. And just think of how the trauma that they came back with and not having a support system. I mean, they, they didn't talk about They had no idea what PTSD was. And you think about what they witnessed. Just, oh, man. That, that yep. had to mess up some people badly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Also, may I add, the people who weren't accepted into the military for for various reasons, uh, bone spurs and such, but they had, like, if they wanted to uh, join up, enlist, or join the armed forces, and they couldn't, that was difficult, because you're seen around town as a young -er man, and why aren't you off fighting like everybody else is? That That was a hard road to hoe as well. That, that toxic masculinity of like, yeah. oh, you're not a real man because you're not over there fighting. Exactly. War. You know, like you're defective or not strong or whatever. So, yeah, just wild. And then that all gets passed down. And look where we are now. Um, how did Andy have a belt? And how did they, were they all allowed to have shoelaces? Hmm. It's probably before anybody did something that made yeah. have to be able to have that. Yeah. It, it was before they wanted to keep all those people in the jail. Before they realized prison leasing convict programs and how these, we have to keep them a lot. Like before, it was like, they take themselves out the game. That's one less mouth to feed. Oh, well. But now it's like, oh, that's a, that's a yeah. worker down. That's a whole lot of money out of my pocket. Mm-hmm. Which brings me to prison violence. They just beat that man to death because he spent the first night and he was crying for his mom. I know, and they just and nothing happened. They, I guess, they just told his family, like, yeah, he just died, and uh, yeah, you know, nothing. Yeah. Sorry about it. Accidents yeah. happen. He yeah. he fell down a flight of steps. You know. Oopsie. Um. And this was like what Tini was saying about how, like, what rehab, it's a rehabilitation, but what skills are they taught to go back out into the world? And, like, there's none of that. So Tini did a great job talking about that. 
the fact that like as again that she mentioned how Brooks Brooks only saw one car. He served fifty years in prison, and mm. prison is a very. Let me be careful in how I say this. I don't want to think that like oh yes I could go into prison. That's not what I'm thinking because prison as a quote later is no fairy tale and it, you have to deal with other prisoners. But the aspect of the routineness of prison, I could. <laughs> I could excel in, I feel. Yes, yes. I'm a very routine-oriented person. I like my routines. So that would... that. Go ahead. I got to tell you, that was as a a primary teacher. That That was the first month of school, learning routines. And kids thrive with routine. They like to know what's coming next. So there are very few people who do not thrive in routines. Yes, it's a it, it's a thing where you I like having the routine, but then I also know that things are going to change in life, and you're going to develop a new routine, and then that becomes right, the right. new routine, and it's well, a struggle at first, but then you just quarantine was exactly that. Yeah, <laughs> and still is for me. <laughs> Um, and the people in prison are going, ha, ha, we got this on lock. Although we're dying because it came in the prison and nobody helped us. Right. And it's just all of these like inhumane. So I don't want to at all equate any of like quarantine to prison or anything right. like that. Because right. It's, right. Like completely different. Um, but I did think it was wild how like his first car, like 1904, and you come out and it's 1954. How wild that would be! Yeah, yeah. And then you have then think about I mentioned in another podcast about going into prison in like 2000 and coming yeah. out now. I know that's like the technology. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. It's it, talk alone. Yeah, yeah, and I I can relate to that. Um. I'm pretty. Oh, and also it was because I was like, wait, Brooks was in there for 50 years. What did he do? It never said it, but I saw in my internet research that, oh, I don't know, take this with the internet, that he murdered his wife and daughter after losing, after a losing streak of poker. A streak of poker. So I'm going to go alcohol involved. Yeah. Oh, you definitely, you know mm-hmm. that there had to be something. And then after 50 years of just that light, like that he's a different person. It's like when mm-hmm. Red has his final parole hearing. Um, I'm pretty. Drink. <laughs> Drink. <laughs> how Andy kept all of his trauma on the inside and that how that reinforced the strong masculine ideal of the strong silent type he never asked yeah. for help he was just super yeah. quiet and he's the he's let some help he, exactly but that reinforces to men like oh look at andy he didn't cry out he was silent he kept all of his like he has super trauma because yeah. he was brutally assaulted by numerous times. numerous times and just kept it kept, keeps it all in all in um also i'm pretty sure how that we didn't see this film in the theater and yet we saw everything that came out in theaters so that's that's just crazy to me yeah they said i mean well, i was listening to like a making of the shellstring redemption thing or like watching the youtube thing and it was 
what's his name? Tim Robbins. Tom- mm-hmm. Tim. Ooh, look at me go. Tim Robbins is talking about, and Morgan Freeman were talking about how nobody really wanted to see this movie and it didn't do well in the theaters, but then it was one of the top rented movies in the like whatever, movie rental stores for the following year. Yeah. 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 And I have more on that on, on Tasty Titties. Yeah. But okay. yeah, when it came out, it was, and this was my peak entertainment weekly like i got super pumped whenever entertainment weekly arrived i was getting into movies at this point i knew about pulp fiction i remember when my parents went to see pulp fiction and they came home and the next like breakfast at breakfast they're like yo you gotta see this movie it's wild and i remember we went to see forrest gump like i remember hearing about this movie but it was nobody knew what it was about they also like it had a confusing title shot shot like people were making fun of the title and also i think that this is an interesting fact that they point out how there's no female characters in this film and that that's one of the reasons why it didn't do well uh which is funny because it's not like hollywood is done right by female characters before so that's wild but then they also point out how prison films were on a decline and then you kind of take into oh. cast and how you had the crime bill and all of this stuff yeah, and, and how true. people were thinking of prison films at, as far as like cast and who is in prisons and that kind of thing. So those were my negative reheatables. Okay, positive reheatable. The reference to the Count of Monte Cristo and and telling this guy you'd enjoy it. That guy isn't going to read 1,600 pages. It's, but it's movies like this that, that made me think that I had no idea how long that freaking book was. But it was so good. It was so good. It okay, is. so I loved that. I yeah. loved all the posters. I loved the Gilda reference because we did Gilda. Do you know how, like, it was originally supposed to be Billy Wilder's The Lost Weekend, but that was too expensive to obtain. So because the producers were in association with Columbia Pictures, they went to Columbia and Columbia gave them a list of discounted films that they could use. And Gilda was one of those films. And Gilda was perfect because they were all sitting there. They've seen it 16 times and they're waiting for the hair flip. Didn't we all love the hair flip? We did. Um, Well, friendship. Hope is the last word spoken in this film. And the cast. I thought the cast was perfection. I liked how they wanted to file a movie, the Count of Monte Cristo under educational. I thought that was funny. (laughs) Because it is about a prison break. It is Mm -hmm. indeed. Apparently, I've never read it. Or you could read it in a day. Actually, though, just watch this movie because that's pretty much what happens for the like half of it. And then the second half is what happens to Andy's character when he's on the outside. If he yeah. chooses to go and take revenge on the people, on the guy who put him there. Yeah. Not the oh. guy who put him there, but the guy who stopped him from being able to be released. Oh, well, yeah. And the Count of Monte Cristo, he had a list of people. He had like three oh, people yeah. that he was going after. Yeah. Um, one, oh, during one scene, 
They were playing a Hank Williams song. Yes. Mm-hmm. Do you know which one it was? Do I, I know the scene. I don't know the song. Singing Lovesick Blues, I believe. And that just made me laugh because does anybody remember a few years ago that little kid, Mason? Yes. Uh, Mason Ramsey, who went viral for singing that. Yes. Um, so that was a fun little thing. And those are the only two I wrote down. There's plenty of other positives. Exactly. But you get so absorbed in the film. It's hard to write down anything that's going on in the film as positive because it's prison. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, <laughs> need not worry, people. How I have wow. I don't think I ever saw the start of this film <laughs> when I was watching the beginning. That's how I felt. Had I seen the beginning of this film? Yeah. You know, I, I don't. You know what's funny is I thought I had seen the like I never really watched this movie all the way through, and I looked at Adam at one point and I was like, "Does this end with Morgan Freeman bursting over?" I never knew if Andy made it out of that prison <laughs> or like whatever it was. I don't know why I did a Forrest Gump voice, but um, and I I. Just had this idea in my mind of how it ended. Not in the, it was clearly not right, but yeah, it, it's just wild. Of I'm like I, I did not because I was thinking, oh my god, he did it, and then I, I was like, did I know that he had done it? Because that kind of changes everything. But then it, it made me well, like, well, does it? He's still a human being, Aaron, but he also killed two people, Aaron. So there was that, and. Then the movie plays out. My mm-hmm. next good reheatable, it's a good reheatable because it's so bad. And we've mentioned it before. And that's the 13th Amendment. Mm, yeah. The, the slavery or involuntary servitude is not allowed except for punishment for a crime. In 1871, the Virginia Supreme Court said an, an incarcerated person is, quote, a slave of the state. Mm-hmm. So when the prison, how prisons are free labor and the warden there's that scene with his whole racket because he could outbid anybody and how we see that now because that movie was before. Now what we have, the privatization of prisons and we have beds that need to be filled and Mm -hmm. we have goods and services that need to be made by cheap labor. And so you're a damn fool if you don't think that taking away women's reproductive rights doesn't have anything to do with that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Money, money, money. (laughs) Keep popping out those babies. We got to put them in these jail cells. Yep. The overhead establishing shot of the prison, that is something that is completely taken for granted nowadays because drone shots are so... Because they have drones and everybody uses them. Like the cheapest reality show has drone shots in there. But... (laughs) At the time, that was that was a wow, and I'll even bet. even me now, because I knew it was night. I was just like, oh my gosh, look at this! That I thought that was great. What we were talking about earlier in this podcast, you mentioned how Andy was innocent, but he was quiet and he wasn't saying anything and didn't know about that. Um, I think is Andy neurodivergent. I mean, I think he's on the spectrum. 
Very possibly. He, he, he couldn't open up to his wife, and he knew that that's what drove yeah. her into the other man's arms. So in essence, he killed her because he drove her into somebody else's arms. He's super into geology. He, yeah. like you said, he wasn't good at expressing himself. Red talks about his pedantic nature and how he would just walk around like a man. It's interesting how he was like, he described Andy as strolling without a care in the world to go back in the black codes, how walking without a purpose would get you in jail. But, yeah, yeah. Um, he can't see the mistake that he's making when he's trying to convince the warden that he's innocent. Exactly. You no, know, there was just a whole... He doubles down instead of mm -hmm. reading the room. Mm-hmm. So I just thought that that was interesting. That's true. That's very true. Um, I like how Andy knew why the caged bird sings. Mm-hmm. There you go. Ooh, Google, listen to you. Google it, people. That's a that's a nice tidbit for you. Make this interactive. I also liked how when they were holding the books far away to read when they were getting yes. older. Yes. And you see Andy having to need glasses. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Andy escaping before 1970, because 1970 is the line of demarcation and the rise of mass incarceration. So I like that he got out of there before 1970. I like this. When Red makes the distinction that the sisters weren't homosexuals. Yes. Because in movies, movies always... Yeah, they tend to always associate queerness with being sexual predators like any right. sort of queer sexuality is there it's like oh that's that's they're sexual predators and queer sexuality is not a threat to straight people right rapists are a threat to all people all of people. all sexual orientation exactly exactly and so he made that point of saying like no they're they're not they're monsters, basically, yeah. what you're saying. Like, they're not human. But then it's also bad. It's a bad reheatable because they're the only effeminate, like, queer characters in the film. And they are the bat, the gay stereotypes with violence. Like, they're the ones that, yes. Yes. that do that. So it's it's also... It's not all good. Um, And, oh, one of my bad reheatables I forgot to mention was the negative reviews that this film got. A lot of people had... A problem with the human humanization of prisoners like they oh because yeah like you were rooting for andy yeah like well you're root like you came to like all of these prisoners and these are men in prisons and so a lot of the critics were like what why are we rooting for these these men right. in prison you know right. like because this movie has the audacity to humanize right. men in prison um, which is and dehumanize the guards and the um, yeah, and the warden because that guy Clancy Brown that played the one of the mm. guards he was offered to go hang out with guards and he declined because he was like, I don't want it to even anywhere be associated that my performance has anything to do with these with real people. guards, yeah, yeah, with real guards. Like, I'm playing this basically a monster, so. I don't want to, like, I get where he's coming from. That's a good point. Um, and then you think about pris how prison and prison life is depicted in other Hollywood films and popular culture. Like, 
it makes and you look at when this came out in 1994 that's going against the current because you had the the crime bill that came right. into effect right. and other pop culture things of prison it's they're animals and they're just it dehuman dehumanizes is that a word dehumanizes De- dehumanizes the prison population and that makes it really easy for us the rest of the people on the outside to be like yeah lock them up throw away the key mm-hmm. they did the crime then they then there should be yeah no they need to be working and no don't let them have any rights and all of that and then when you get into the criminal justice system and you kind of see how many people aren't there like it's one thing if it's you know somebody who's horrible and has killed children and stuff to be like oh i don't I don't know about this person, you know, that are they even human? That's easy. But then when you, you think and consider how flawed the criminal justice system is, and there are a lot of people who don't belong in there. And there are a lot of people who maybe didn't have the resources, like everything that we said at the beginning, like what Teeny was saying. So, And there are some people with a whole lot of resources who belong there right now, right fucking now, mm-hmm. right Fucking. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Well, we are to quotes. And I had to stop and write down a few. Okay. Um, When Andy was on the stand uh, for his uh, double murder trial, and the um, prosecutor is saying, well, isn't it convenient that you threw the gun in the river so we can't test the gun to see if those bullets were from your gun? He says, since I am innocent of this crime, sir, I find it decidedly inconvenient that the gun was never found. Mm. Mm -hmm. Then uh, one of the times that Morgan Freeman is uh, rejected for parole one guy goes, I'm up for rejection next week. <laughs> like they knew, they they knew there was just going to be a rejection. Uh, when Morgan Freeman calls Andy that tall drink of water with the silver spoon up his ass. Oh, Ooh. damn. And Andy says, I had to come to prison, prison to be a crook. Mm-hmm. But this is the quote, I think. I'm telling you, these walls are funny. First, mm-hmm. you hate them. Then you get used to them. Enough time passes, you get so you depend on them. That's institutionalized. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, those are the ones that I wrote down. There are many, but you get so absorbed in the film that you can't write them all down. I had... Um... Send you in for life. That's exactly what they'll take. The part that matters, at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is when Brooks got out of prison and saw cars all over the road. He said, the world went and got itself in a big damn hurry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I loved Brooks. Um, hope is a dangerous thing. Hope can drive a man insane. Yeah. <laughs> well, Morgan Freeman said, I guess I just miss my friend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I got weepy several times. Uh-huh. I laughed out loud several times. Mm-hmm. Um 
that I, pr I probably didn't, unlike you, I didn't pause. I just wrote, and if it's <laughs> wrong, it's wrong. Rehabilitated, a made up word, a politician's word, so that made up so that young men like you can wear a suit and tie and have a job. Rehabilitated is just a bullshit word. Mm -hmm. Oh, that was a Morgan Freeman's trying to get parole. Yeah. And he was like, I'm over it. I know you're going to yeah, be a third time, help. which he said that he didn't like, he doesn't like watching himself act and that, or like he doesn't like his watching himself, whatever, mm -hmm. after he's acted, but his three of his favorite scenes to watch himself do were the three times he went up for parole. Because ah. he could see, liked that you could see the arc of the character and every all three yeah times. and the first time the the head of the parole board says sit next time sit down the next time please sit so you saw mm. you saw a progression of the parole board seeming to change but but or was it because all... he was older and they respected him more because he was older well yeah well and it's also before 1970 yes so you have this progression until 1970, and then it's... Oh, yeah. Um, get busy living or get busy dying. That's goddamn right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those are mine. I have prison is no fairy tale world. I have the... Maybe it's because I'm Irish. <laughs> it's just so funny. And it, oh, yeah. Dumbass. Dumas. You know what it's about? You'll like it. It's about a prison break. Yeah. <laughs> and then Red says, we ought to file that under educational, too. <laughs> and then I like this because I was gonna, I was good. I was about to roast Andy when I was watching this because I'm like, what? He's all into rocks? What is that? And then he like put me in my place going, geology is the study of pressure and time. That's all it takes, really. Pressure and time. That and a big goddamn poster. Yeah, like, yeah, that's pretty much. I mean, that's how that's how teeth get straightened. Pressure it, over time. Pressure in time. Pressure in time. Oh yeah. Okay, my LVP is rape. Oh God. <laughs> okay. Oh, well, yeah. Here okay. we are. We I guess we're at LVP. <laughs> <laughs> One of the all times rape. At an I mean, all-time VIP member of the LVP yeah, club. Yeah, all-time LVP rape. <laughs> yep. My LVP is... I don't know how to put it. Hmm. What? Not... Is prison not rehabilitating? Or not, I don't right. know if rehabilitating is the word. The prison industrial complex? That's it. There yeah. you go. Yeah. The whole thing. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. I'll leave it at that. Mine is honorable mention because this, like everything in life, it's, it's a little of both. Yin and yang. Balance. There's balance. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. while this trait in human beings can also be an MVP, it can also, thank you, Mac, be an LVP. <laughs> And that is human's ability to adapt to any situation. Yeah, that's true. You're right. Oh, yeah, you're right. It but that's can go like, both ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's the honorable mention. It's because like being in an abusive relationship 
whether it be with the person or work. Yeah. And when you like, you just don't realize, you know, it's like there's abuse and it's not out, out there like being punched in the face and raped. Mm-hmm microaggressions yeah 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 Yeah. but after a while you're just like this is how it is yeah Mm -hmm. well sort of like andy the last time just go ahead and do it you know because i'm not gonna fight you let's just get it over with well it's like us now living in the the climate like with climate the issues like what are we're just gonna adapt to it we're just gonna say like oh yep this is how it is and I was listening uh-huh. to the daily about the Great Salt Lake and how it's going to mm. be super harmful, toxic dust. And people are just going to get used to just putting on their mask mm-hmm. and just going about life living because that's just the way it is. And and that's how humans are it's like, all right, this is just how it is. We'll just adapt to it rather than wait a second. Stop. We can stop. fix it. Yeah. But that goes into my real LVP which is the action of establishing something as a convention or norm in an organization or culture, a.k.a. institutionalization. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's not, it's easy to, you can label it on this because that's what Red was talking about, about like the quote that you gave and you're just, this is your life and it's inside of this and it's the institutionalization of it and blah, blah, blah. But that's how we got cast and that's how we got Mm -hmm. to where we are and these norms and how people now don't want history to be taught because it's going to hurt people's feelings Mm -hmm. and they don't want to know because how do I reconcile that? And it's like other people been doing it. I, we've been doing it. I'm, I'm German. I I got German blood in me horrible things that they did horrible i got white american blood in me horrible things that has been done still got love for both it's possible because i know what happened right and it's that institutionalization combined with the human ability to adapt to anything that is a very dangerous it is indeed put some put some um tripping stones what do they call them oh yeah the uh, i don't they're like the memory stones in germany memory stones so that every once in a while you you trip and you have to oh that's why that's there oh yeah okay but you know there's people in germany who want to yank that up because it makes them feel bad about themselves yeah you know like but there are enough other people saying leave it there because we need to remember we fucked the fuck up yeah and you know what we didn't we didn't do it but our forefathers did the people who came before us did this i wasn't born then but i know about it and i think those are important leave them there trip over them once in a while yeah same way like i understand how this country built its wealth reconcile it Okay, so we're to MVPs, and I have a runner-up. I have two runners-up. Justice, not revenge, but justice. Andy gets some justice. The end, I love the end, even though it's not how it was supposed to end. But my MVP is the whole freaking movie. Yeah. Oh. 
the whole thing. Teeny, it's on my most, my bestest list. Yeah, that's got to be on my best list, too. Yeah. I came it up is. with the TPB. I texted my brother. I'm like, yo, TPB. I came up with a whole catchphrase. Teeny picks bangers. Oh. Oh, wow. Oh, is that a, TPB? a call to competition? It's not a competition. It's just the truth. She just be picking bangers. Yeah, she. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm not in competition. I don't want there to be a competition. It's just game recognizes game. TPB. That's true. That's true. Yeah, this was this. Yeah, this was a good one. My MVP. I had to do it. Morgan Freeman's voice. It's just so soothing. Agreed, and that's red. why they cast him as Red because he wanted somebody with he that. He's like, oh, voice. it's the whole movie. I'm doing the whole movie. Mm-hmm. And you know, this was the first time that he did a voice over narration, and it pretty much spawned his a whole lucrative, very right. lucrative career for him. After I mean, that. I would never have watched an entire movie about penguins. Right. Like, well, you will with Morgan Freeman's voice. Yeah. What was that one called? March of the Penguins. Yeah. March of the Penguins. Fascinating. It was fascinating. Okay. Oh, wait. I have a couple of honorable mentions. I'm sorry. I thought you did. Yours. Yeah, you didn't do it. She didn't do her MVP. No, my honorable mention, Roger Deakins. This film looks fantastic. Yes. He's one of my favorite cinematographers. Yes. Um, that famous scene, though, and this is just a shout out to him. He had that famous scene where Andy is free and he's out in the rain, you know. And yeah. Just, and Washing all that shit off of him. Yeah, he's he doesn't like it. He's very disappointed because he feels like he overlit it, which is just, just oh, hilarious. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, he's like, wow. I overlit it. Um, no. but, and the reason that he was on it is because he was suggested by Tim Robbins because he and Tim Robbins worked together on the Hudsucker Proxy, which is another Coen Brothers film that stars, also co-starring, one Paul Newman. He has a very small part in it. Yes, he does. Mm-hmm. Forgot all about that one. My other honorable mention is you have to shout out... T- okay. You, yeah. It's TNT. So this was Castle Rock. Turner mm-hmm. Broadcasting Systems mm-hmm. bought Castle Rock. Teeny mentioned it earlier when um, the movie came out. It, I have it in the Tasty Titty, so we'll get to the numbers then. But it didn't really do well. And they threw out a whole bunch of VHSs to the home video. And so it was a huge uh, rental in 95. But what really helped this film was Turner Broadcasting bought the Castle Rock. Castle Rock rights and so then they started throwing it up on TNT just all the time and that's how I saw this film because you would just be sitting there watching it like just watching TV back when you know it wasn't all a cart on demand anything you wanted to watch you had to flip through channels and it would just it would be it is just one of those movies where you just start watching it and then you are just completely sucked in so, I think that's why we never saw the beginning. I know because you'd it, come across it when it was already started, and you would just start watching it. And I was just like, "What is this film? This is amazing and stuff." Yeah. And so, hats off to TNT because it was because it was so again comes back to money. It was so cheap for them to just put on 
You just have, like, just plug it in. I think it maybe takes up a three-hour chunk of time if you put in for commercials. Probably, yeah. So there you go. Just throw it on. And it, it seemed like it was always on. Mm-hmm. Um, but my real MVP is Castle Rock producer Liz Glotzer because she came across the script and she threatened to quit Castle Rock if they didn't make it. And she's the one that suggested Morgan Freeman. Oh. Okay. Well, you know what? So hats yeah. off to that woman. Because my MVP wouldn't be here if that hadn't happened. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to shout out that woman. Good, Good job. Consequently, I didn't do a recasting. I mean, I, I kept reading. I kept seeing... Uh, Shawshank Redemption 2, did that ever... There, there, I think it, it's called The Green Mile. <laughs> okay, because they kept talking about how there was going to be a 2, and I was like, no. First of all, no. And so, okay. So it never came out as Shawshank Redemption 2. I just... Because they kind of, a lot of people... A lot of the same people ran it back in the Green Mile, which is a different short story that Stephen right, King did, right. um, with a different uh, magical Negro in it, yes. Michael Clark Duncan. I mean, and truly magical. Truly magical. Magical. I think that might have been the film that caused Spike Lee to come up with the magical Negro. That and the Legend of Fat Bagger Vance. I think they came out like yeah, the same yeah. time. And Spike Lee was like, yo. And then we get the green book and okay. So uh, did anyone do a recasting? I zigzagged on my recasting because (laughs) I was like, Oh, maybe it's like we go POC people of color. Maybe we go women. Yeah. And the thing about Andy and how he was innocent, he was falsely accused. And then I was like, wait a second. I just why don't I just recommend a fantastic documentary? It's a 30 for 30 called Breakaway, and it's a documentary about um a WNBA player, Maya Moore. She stepped away from her very lucrative WNBA career, one of the all-time greatest women's basketball players of all time. And it's about her and her relationship with a man named Jonathan Irons who was convicted and sentenced to 50 years in prison for burglary and assault. And she gave up her whole career to work on his case to free him. And it's a great documentary that I recommend watching because it's basically about the Andy Dufresne story of, you know, innocent people being locked up and how you get tripped up. And she took on his case. So an, another MVP could be the Innocence Project. Yeah, anything. Like the Innocence Project. I just think it was her because she she had everything she ever wanted. And he was this man that she kind of knew a little bit about. And I don't want to give too much away because it's a great documentary. And I don't want to give away the ending or anything like that. But it's worth looking up. It's It's a good documentary. One more time, it's name. It's a 30 for 30 documentary so espn did it and it's called breakaway i don't unfortunately i don't know where it's available okay i i just have uh 30 for it 30 might doc. be on um 
an e one of those ESPN. Um, okay, so yeah. Christine, um, I I was actually thinking, okay, so we could have like um, uh, Hillary Swank could be Andy, and Queen Latifah could be Red, but I wanted Queen Latifah to be the innocent one with the smarts. So she would be Andy. She would be Andy. And, and Hillary Red. Swank would be Red. Be Red, right. Right. Okay. That's as far as I got. Yeah. Okay. But you kind of said it how they kind of did it in Orange is the New Orange Black. Orange is the New Black. Like exactly. Exactly. Series and stuff. So. And yeah. then um, what's her name? Got killed. And so who wants to watch that anymore? You know, I never finished the last season of Orange Me is either. the New Black. Yeah. Because it. it had I think I said it before. Once they started doing taking over the prison, I was like, this. I don't yeah, exactly. Although um, I did enjoy Lori Petty in there. So we are to tasties. Mm -hmm. I have these people were considered for red. Oh. The Morgan Freeman part. Okay. Clint Eastwood. Harrison oh, wow. Ford. Ew. Yeah, he was Paul Newman. But isn't still it still wouldn't be good? I just because it just seems like they would have been too old. Well, he was supposed to be much older. Oh, but I guess Paul Newman's voice would have been okay. Yeah, I could see Paul Newman. But still, Gene Hackman, Robert Redford, and Robert Duvall. For Red. Paul Newman's the only one I could have gone with. For, yeah. for Andy, they considered Jeff Bridges. Oh. Tom Hanks was involved with. He was doing Forrest Gump. Forrest so Gump. he had to pass on it. Yeah. Kevin Costner. No way. He passed on it to do Waterworld. Yeah. Oh my yeah. God. So that shows his. If he um, could take back time. Tom Cruise? Tom Cruise Ew. did a table read for it, and then he decided that he didn't want to work with the inexperienced director that was Frank Darabont at the time. Oh, so yeah. it was really close to being Tom God. Cruise. Matthew Broderick. Nicolas Cage? Hmm. John of it. Depp? And Charlie Sheen. Charlie Sheen was Char all He in. wanted it, yeah. He, he wanted it bad. He did a table read, I know. Um, who was it? Oh, and then Tommy Gil, what's it? Yeah, Bellows? Gil Bellows, uh-huh. You know who they wanted it to be? It was going to be Brad Pitt. It was going to be Brad Pitt, but he was involved with Interview with a Vampire. Yeah, because um, after the success of Thelma and Louise... He got interview with a vampire and decided to do that. Interestingly enough, with Tom Cruise instead. Yeah. Um, then I have Rob Reiner offered uh, the director who had done the screenplay mm -hmm. 250 million. No. <laughs> yeah. 250 million dollars to to pay the the um the dude for the screenplay 
I don't think it was 200. It was no 2.5. I'm sorry. I was gonna say, damn, I'm pretty sure Frank Darabont would have taken 250 million. But like, go ahead, Rob, have a good time. (laughs) And Rob Reiner wanted to direct it and have Harrison Ford and Tom Cruise do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that was what it was gonna be. Because also remember that Rob Reiner had done the body had taken the body and done Stand By Me. So he was familiar with adapting Stephen King short novella story type things. And Frank Darabont, this had been his job. In fact, he at one point, so in 1983, Darabont adapted another King's, Stephen King's story for a short film. And it was a dollar deal. And Stephen King mm-hmm. would do these dollar deals where he would give his rights for a dollar for new directors exactly. because it was a it was a way of helping out new directors. And so that short film, Darabont was able to get jobs such as Nightmare on Elm Street 3. And so then he that you know those are paying jobs and he returned to Stephen King with $5,000 to give him a check so that he could have the rights to the Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption story. Right, right. And Stephen King didn't see how this story would make a movie. He thought he he was like, my man, you're crazy. All right, go ahead if you want it. So Daramont was like, this is obvious how this is a film. So he went off and made the film. And then Stephen King never cashed that $5,000 check. He -hmm. had it framed. And he returned it to Frank Darabont with a note that said, if you ever need bail money, love Steve. Yeah. Steve. That's mm-hmm. why they were on nickname. I listened to an interview with him and I was like, damn, he's on nickname basis calling him Steve. Yeah. Because they, yeah, they had a, 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 they went way back. Because I was, I never was into horror. So I never really, I never read Stephen King and I wasn't like a, but when I heard that he would let directors have his novellas for a dollar, that I became a fan because. I was that. the same way. And my friend Evan, he, I, he would read Stephen King and I was never into horror, but Stephen King wrote this book called, I think it's like on writing or it's something similar to that. And it was about his writing process and how he became Stephen King. And, and it is, I completely recommend reading the book because it it paints this you kind of get to see Stephen King and where he's coming from and how he was working weird random jobs and stuff and how he would just be writing and it's it's very interesting and it kind of after reading that and hearing all of this stuff you're like oh he's not you think he's like creepy because he he yeah. writes creepy things and he no offense, but he kind of looks creepy. He looks a touch and, creepy. But then you you read this book, and I came away with a complete different feeling for the of like just seeing him as as a human being, and just like oh, he just happens to write these things, but he also has different genres of films and different stories, and he he is very good about writing, and he's very um, nurturing. To, to other writers mm-hmm. and to directors and that's evidence in his dollar deals and stuff so if you are a writer or want to be a writer definitely read that book because you will be inspired outstanding the um, exteriors of the prison were actually a defunct 
Ohio State Reformatory in Mansfield, Ohio. Yeah, it was closed down in 1986 because of inhumane conditions. Yeah. And I think it was Tim Robbins said he took his son there with them and like brought him into the cell. And his son was like, I I don't like this place. I want to go. Yeah. You I've been to Alcatraz and Ooh. it's man, it's wild because you have to take a boat out there and it's just choppy seas and stuff. And then you just get to the the rock and it's just, you know, it's got vibes to it where you just it feel does. the it's vibes. Like, whether you believe in ghosts or not. Yeah. Here is, I, I went to the, uh, um in Dublin, the Irish prison, and I was uncomfortable the entire mm-hmm. time. I just had to get out of there. It was so uncomfortable. Yeah, just seeing the prison cells and, and how they are and then just, the just the lack of sunlight and what you can see and then the bars and then the the salty gray san francisco air aura yeah you were in san francisco i was in dublin it it's just it it doesn't feel good yeah just bad vibes just all around like just it's just creepy just bad vibes of everything so in 1949, the $35,000, what was the $35,000? It was how much I think somebody was going to keep for their inheritance, the guard. Yes, oh, yes, the yes, guard. yes, yes, the guard. So in 2020, that would have been $387,000. So, you know, 35000 doesn't sound, although I'd give it oh, to me. Oh, in a heartbeat. <laughs> but yeah. And then Andy stole from siphoning off stuff from oh yeah the, the three hundred seventy thousand or something three hundred seventy thousand and in twenty twenty that would be two million nine hundred twenty seven thousand eight hundred ninety nine dollars yeah so they were that'll get you going on Zuantanehu exactly living large mm-hmm. okay those are my tasties i don't have any oh you okay. have one that you texted us oh i was just shocked that this didn't win any awards not a single one i think it was Outrage. nominated for seven it was nominated for seven academy awards it was nominated for best original score best sound best film editing best cinematography best adapted screenplay Morgan Freeman was nominated as Best Actor, and it was nominated for Best Picture and didn't win a thing. Wow. Bullshit. I agree. Yeah. It was, it was also a box office flop. It so was a to- That's probably why. It had a budget of $25 million and it failed to recoup it. It made $16 million when it came out initially. Uh, uh, initially. 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 She's adding an extra N in there, people. That is her um are you the colonizer? The colonizer is speaking now. Um, so in you mentioned the Ohio State Reformatory, how it closed, and it's in Mansfield, Ohio. They have a Mansfield has a whole economy built up around the Shawshank Redemption. 
because there's not a lot to do in Ohio. Yeah, so Mansfield is located between Cincinnati and Columbus, or is it between Uh, Columbus and Cleveland? Okay, mm-hmm. it's in Ohio. Um, they have a driving tour, and on August 6th of 2022, so it's coming up, you have time for the 8th annual Shawshank Hustle, which is a 7K race. Oh, there. In Mansfield, you start at the prison. Oh, let's cancel our vacation. Let's go to Ohio instead. Oh, you can go. You. Yeah. See you guys next year. I got a race to run. Christine. <laughs> and this has been Christine's final Gone with the Bush. <laughs> and she is no longer married to my son. Oh my God. I Mom know. divorced us. Well, he divorced you because he's going to mention pinching a loaf often. <laughs> oh, true. Yeah, you're right. I'm good. Then it's, it's over. Um, the Mansfield pre- is between Columbus and Cleveland. Between Columbus and Cleveland. Um, this was shot in Mansfield in June and August of 1993. So they were like, does Maine get that that summer humidity that no. <laughs> Ohio does? No, that's why you would. That's why if you have to be in prison, go to Maine. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. And then I was like, no, it was shot in Ohio. I'm like, in June in the summer? Okay, yeah. that's wild. At some point in 1947, they were talking about $10. Uh, it was something for Red, and he, he was smuggling in stuff. Um, the hammer, the little, um, the, the gem. Oh, hammer. the hammer, this, the rock hammer. So that was yes. $10. In 47, that was equal to $132.87 now. That makes absolute sense to me. It doesn't to me. I'm old. I'm like, and in the in the book, he had to get a second one because he did wear out the first one. Oh, interesting. The scenes that were filmed depicting Ziwatanehu. Oh, oh man, I'm sorry, Spanish-speaking listeners. Yeah. I am butchering yeah. that. It's that a me. it's a real Mexican place city town um if you look on a map where mexico city is and then just go perpendicular to just just she horizontal, know, right from your left to watch out people. i know yeah it's just in mexico. Hor- yeah it's in mexico <laughs> down mexico city and then you just go like draw a straight line to the pacific coast and then just go down south a little bit and that's where it is it's so on it's, the Pacific side. Okay, got yeah, it. Yeah, but it's not like it's close to the United States or anything like that. Like, it's Good down idea. in the... Like, if you think of Mexico as a woman's high heel shoe, it's kind of where you will have, um, like, your plantar fasciitis. <laughs> <laughs> so that that's, that's what I'll say for the geography lesson. Here but... The real scene was filmed at Sandy Point National Wildlife Refuge in St. Croix, the U.S. Virgin Islands. Mm. Mm -hmm. So I think that's interesting because actually that would make that wouldn't be the Pacific then that they're showing. No, they talked about in the this documentary I watched how like, well, did you already talk about the tar? No. Mm -mm. 
Are were you going to? No. No. That scene on the rooftop where they're doing the tar, mm-hmm, that was mm-hmm. real. And so like they really were doing that work on the rooftop and they said it was so hot. And like if you let tar get the least bit stiff, it's very cool. hard. Yeah, right. Cool. That's the word. And so like Oh, I know about tar from visiting beaches in California. Yeah. So they like they were like it was really hard work. So then in the end, when they really did give them that beer in the end. So like they were like, we weren't they weren't acting in that part. Like they got that beer and it was but then they were talking about how like in the end, you know, they've been doing all that work and then in the end they finally got to go and like record on the like film on the beach. And it was uh, just like they were finally free too, and like. And it stinks. It smells so bad. Oh, I thought you meant the beach. No, yeah. Yeah. Tar. Yeah, I was like, how dare you slander the beach? That's yeah, tar, man. Ooh. Um, what else do I have? That Morgan Freeman's son Alfonso. That's his picture as young Red. In the when he gets denied parole and it's the young Morgan Freeman, the young Red, that's his son Alonzo. And Alonzo is also the one who I think when they come in, he yells something about like the new fish or new like whatever. Mm. So that's Morgan Freeman's son. Um let's see, you already Oh, but you didn't mention that James Gandolfini passed on pay on playing the rapist Boggs. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. So those are all of my tasty titties. It's a, it's just such a great film. I just watched it the whole way through. Just riveted. Yeah. Just one of the, and I think it's also it's number one on IMDb's list of like greatest films of what the users have oh, said. Oh really? Yeah, it's it's this film and then I think number two is the Godfather too, and then I think it's Goodfellas. Like, and also Frank Darabont watched Got uh, Goodfellas all while he was making this, and that really influenced him with the narration of the passing of time and stuff. Yeah, that's what. Yeah, that's what I heard. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I just I'm gonna tell you, two hours twenty minutes was it? it, it but it flies by. It's like you're Fly, watching a really TV does. show. Yeah. When it's so hot outside, I mean, you just can't. Going out to get the mail is a chore. Just put this on for two hours and 20 minutes. You're absorbed into a whole um, different reality. And it's just a good, you're going to laugh, you're going to cry, you're going to laugh, you're going to cry. Yeah, gonna make you. You're gonna think about like the, you know, the. I thought about it all night. I would wake up in the middle of the night and think of things. Mm. Um, Now, one thing that Stephen King did not like, and I did notice, was how round the hole was. I mean, it was almost perfect. Yeah, I was wondering how he made that so. So and and then. Um, the sewer he had to go through was sawdust and and chocolate sauce and something else. They said you can still mm-hmm. smell cocoa down around that. But the the actual so that was the the sewer. But when he comes out into that creek, that creek was deemed toxic. Yes, and they had to deadly. dam. 
Yeah, they had to dam it off, and then they put in, uh, what, chlorine or something? Yeah. And Tim Robbins had a quote about, he's just like, you know what, when you're an actor, sometimes you're put into these situations, and you don't want to be the one to say, hey, hold up. Uh, oh, excuse because you want to be a team player and, like, get the shot done and stuff. And so he was... I think that's one of those things where it was like, like now you would kind of maybe say, wait, this is toxic? Like, can, I, can I get my agent here just for a minute? Can we just do some chemical testing? Just yeah. make sure I'm going to live through this? Well, that's kind of wild. Yeah. But I loved it. I loved it. Yeah. I loved yeah. it. And then I loved it some more. And then I thought about it some more. And then I thought about it some more. And if he weren't as tall as he was, would he have been able to get from that wall over to be able to, to climb the pipes? And if he didn't have an end cell, it would have been over because he wouldn't have had a wall to be able to go through. Yeah, but he just, I mean, he was well-versed in the Count of Monte Cristo, so he was able right. to mm-hmm. take those lessons. He and I probably just... He probably would have been able to fake his death, end up in a sack that he was sewed to that he almost <laughs> didn't get out of when he was thrown into the water. Yeah. <laughs> yep. That's yeah, that's Count of Monte Cristo humor that's, for you. <laughs> that's sixteen hundred pages of Count of Monte Cristo. And I want everybody to know I read every damn word. I it. did too. I was so proud I'm of myself. So proud of myself. It's the the writing that it's such fun. That it's the reason I need reading glasses. That book. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's really small print and a really fat book. But really fat so book good. and really weird syntax because it, it was written in French yeah. and it's translated and it's old timey. And... Yeah. So you have to get into that whole thing. But they but you know we have to do at some point do a version of it. But I I feel like because it needs to be a television show, but then also the most interesting part of the Count of Monte Cristo is not in the book. <laughs> you know, like him developing all of his skills and yeah. all of the wealth. It, it's as thick as that book is. That's not in it. And you're like, yeah. wait. Yeah, Christina, it, there, it was a miniseries in the oh. 70s with Richard Chamberlain being the Count of Monte Cristo. Huh. So I don't know. It's, uh, uh, yeah. But it's, hey, let it be said, Christine picked a, a movie that was two hours and 20 minutes. TPB. And well done. I strongly recommend watching it. And next week is Aaron. So I had a movie picked out. Then I started watching something else. And so now I have, an, then I got another movie. So you guys have to decide what movies. Ooh. Okay. I had a movie. Uh Uh-huh. You want to know the years that you're deciding between? Yes, I do. Okay. So there's a movie. This is it's a little bit more recent, but but not recent. It's kind of going back in time from Shawshank Redemption. Yes. But it's it's got a summertime theme. It's got one of the characters, one of the actors from this. It's kind of one of got his when he kind of got on the radar. It's got a famous actress that we've also Joanne done Woodward. No, nineteen eighty-eight. So, and then it's also got an actor that we've also mentioned as was up for this, 
And I don't remember ever seeing this movie, but I always hear about it when they talk about sports films. So it's it's the oh. summertime and it's baseball themed. It's considered one of the best sports films. It's 1988. And then on that so other side, we have a movie that. Pilgrim. Yes, that's one of that's so that's I that. guessed the movie. You did. What did you said? You I did. guessed the movie. She did. She, she guessed it. What is it? I guessed the movie on clues. She what guessed she... it on clues. Yeah. What was the movie? Bull, Bull Durham. Durham. Oh, oh, we're doing that one. Okay. Let's see the other one. Okay. Well, the other one, I have a feeling that then that might be one of the next pick. So it's a film in 1963 starring our, I, our male and female Patronuses. But it's wild because I don't think it's a great film. <laughs> it seems like it's a really wild film and there's going to be a lot of... Uh, it, it seemed like it would just be fun, but it's not necessarily going to be a great movie. And it's in 1963. It's not Rachel Rachel. No. Okay. It was featured in episode two of the HBO Max documentary series, The Last Movie Stars, which is about Paul is Newman and Joanne Woodward. Both yeah, of them, both of them the are prize. in it. The prize. No. HUD. No. We already did HUD. HUD. It's it's more of a Joanne. It's the movie that Joanne Woodward read the script for, and she really wanted to do it. I thought that was Rachel Rachel. And Paul Newman, and she gave it to Paul Newman, and he was like, this is the worst script I've ever read. And then Joanne Woodward went off on him and was like, I have raised our children, and I have raised your children. And I want to do this movie. A new kind of love. Yes. Oh, Thelma Ritter's in that one. So you guys. Just hold on a week, people. I vote Bull Durham. All right. Bull Durham it is. Bull Durham. We did baseball. We did prison. We're back to baseball. Back to baseball. Bull Durham. Susan Sarandon. Yeah. Who won her Academy Award for a prison movie. Um, that was directed by Tim Robbins. Tim Robbins, Dead Man Walking, mm-hmm. with Sean Penn. Exactly. Okay, but that's not what we're doing. We're doing Boulderum, <laughs> which is a baseball movie, right. with Kevin Costner. Costner. Okay. Well, listeners, I ho- really hope you enjoyed this episode because we did enjoy it in our Tiki Hut bar. Yeah, how do you guys like this? Do you, do you like I love this? it. I, I like, like it. it a lot. I, yeah. I can't see your expressions as well, which is not a bad thing. <laughs> I can't see you laughing at me quite as much, so it was fun. I'll just Muppet laugh. <laughs> okay, listeners, there you are. This was the Shawshank Redemption. Outstanding. Next week is Bull Durham and... There you go. Uh, bye. bye.